Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, October 29th, and this is your FT News Briefing. France and Germany install new COVID-19 lockdowns, but can Europe maintain a coordinated effort when it comes to quelling the virus? Plus, as case counts rise and with the U.S. presidential election just days away, American and European investors are getting jumpy. And what's China focusing on as it puts together its five-year plan? We'll take a look. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. European leaders are worried about the resurgence of coronavirus, and they're taking action to try and stem soaring infection rates across the continent. Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel says that federal and state governments will be shutting down parts of the economy. Restaurants, bars, and most public entertainment will close. President Emmanuel Macron yesterday imposed similar measures for France. Michael Peel is our European diplomatic editor. He's been following developments across Europe, and he joins me now. Michael, can you tell me more about Germany and France's lockdown measures? Well, in Germany, uh, federal and state governments have agreed to shut down parts of the economy, um, and the effort is to try to um, not close down the entire country, um, while at the same time drastically reducing the spread of the virus. And uh, Angela Merkel, the Chancellor, has described these measures as a a heavy day for political decision makers, and clearly this is going to have a a big social and economic impact. Um, In France, it's a similar sort of approach. Um, Mr. Macron said that it will be different from the spring lockdown because this time schools, factories and companies would stay open and also visits to old people's homes and funerals would be permitted. And he said that it was very important that the economy must not stop nor collapse. Michael, the European Commission met yesterday to talk about how the bloc will handle the new wave. Do you think the whole continent is capable of a coordinated response? Well, Mark, I think the first point to make is just how alarmed people are around Europe. And this is not just something in one or two countries. It's uh, just about everywhere. And EU leaders will hold a a teleconference later on Thursday when they will discuss what's possible on a broader European-level response. Now, traditionally, the problem has been that the questions of health and security that are at the heart of managing the pandemic are not EU responsibilities. They're very much the province of sovereign national government decisions. And this caused a big problem in the uh, first phase of the pandemic earlier this year, because suddenly there was a rash of border closures. Countries were imposing export restrictions on healthcare products, and it was all rather chaotic and caused a lot of bad feelings. So since then, the uh, European institutions have been trying to get a more coordinated approach. Right. And some of those coordinated efforts, inter-country contact tracing and rapid testing have been in place and and they're, they're expanding still. Now, switching a bit from Europe, some officials have said that the U.S. is just a few weeks behind Europe in terms of the way the coronavirus is progressing. What might some of us in the U.S. take from what's happening in Europe? Well, I think I think the European example is going to be really instructive because what's happened is that clearly European governments have been caught by surprise and, and have, have said so publicly at how quickly this has, has re-escalated. There's a big question about why that's happened. And uh, you had the uh, the European Commission and the advisor, Professor Peel, who's a very experienced microbiologist, saying that the, the resurgence after the summer showed how fragile the gains made from the restrictions before 
before the summer were. And, and he said, we kind of relaxed too much the measures that are basically about behavior and we're paying a high price. So the big fear at the moment is that... Um, unlike at the time of the uh, early in the year lockdown, where at least it was springtime and there was the possibility of summer afterwards and, and more time um, spent uh, out of doors. Now we're going right into the winter to the worst weather of the year. Um, people spending more and more time indoors where people will still be mingling. And, and that's, the, that's a challenge that uh, um, people are still trying to work that out the answer to. Michael Peel is our European diplomatic editor. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Mark. And investors, they were naturally concerned with all the developments in Europe on Wednesday. Here with me now is the FT's U.S. markets editor, Eric Platt, to explain what happened in the markets. Eric, it was a bit of a wild day in both Europe and in the U.S. when it came to equities. What happened? So... The S&P 500 fell 3.5% yesterday, and it was its biggest one-day fall since June. What's really happening, and as we, we talked to so many investors on Wednesday over the course of the trading day, as well, you know, as well as traders and strategists, and a lot of the view really came down to the coronavirus and the spread and the implications that that has, right? The, the knock-on effects to the economy that we're expecting to see just in terms of slower growth. We saw that in the share reactions, right? You, when you looked at companies like Carnival and Norwegian Cruise Lines, companies that need a reopening to happen, that need a vaccine and for people to return to some sense of normalcy, those stocks were particularly hard hit. And that followed Europe, Europe's close, which was also quite painful for investors. But beyond that, it's, we're also in the U.S. now, less than a week from the election. And there, there are some fears that, that are cropping up that you're hearing from investors. What if Biden wins, but he doesn't take the Senate? What does that mean for stimulus? What if Biden wins and, and Democrats take the Senate, but Republicans and the president decide we're not going to do anything until January when we turn over power? Those are really percolating, and you're hearing that a lot from investors. It's reached a crescendo, if you will, because we're just so close to the big night. So, Eric, I want to switch gears to a topic that we haven't really touched on in a while on the show, and that's the Treasury market. Uh, how have things been going lately, and what can we look forward to in the next few you know, weeks and months? Treasuries have become almost boring is the word. Yields have fallen so rapidly over the last year. They're so low that really they, they can't go much lower. And so they're not functioning the way people typically turn to Treasuries to function, right? When you think of your stock portfolio at home, it's generally you know 60% stocks, 40% bonds. You do that for the income that bonds throw off, but you also do that for the, the hedging and the diversification that bonds offer, right? Treasuries don't traditionally move in the same direction as stocks. So it's really odd when you see stocks drop by their most in four months and treasuries not move. People aren't bidding this traditional safe haven much higher. And the reason for that is there's a flood of treasuries as the U.S. has provided stimulus over the past year. And the U.S. Central Bank has been buying up treasuries to help keep rates low. Because the Fed is buying and buying on the short end of the treasury yield curve, it's kept yields really anchored because they're not moving because the bond prices seem stuck where they are. There hasn't been much to report on. In fact, if anything, a lot of the articles you've probably been reading have been about how, how surprising it's been, how little movement that we've seen in treasuries. Eric Platt is our U.S. markets editor. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Mark. Mark. 
China's leadership ends four days of discussions today aimed at setting the country's long-term priorities. The plan won't be made public until March, but Yuan Yang, our deputy Beijing bureau chief, says many details have already emerged, and they suggest Beijing is changing its policy objectives. Next year is the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Communist Party, and by that year, Beijing is meant to have achieved certain objectives, such as founding a inverted commas, moderately prosperous society and getting rid of extreme poverty. And so the passing of those objectives means that the party now has a big opportunity to set new goals for itself that will reorient the direction of travel for China, not just for the next five years in terms of the specific five-year plan that they'll draw up, but potentially for decades after that. I think this is the point where China will start to broaden out its economic aims into aims that encompass self-sufficiency and the environment, and potentially also looking more at the inequality that's widening in China. So I think we'll see the importance of GDP growth lessening and more emphasis placed on a broader concept of growth and development. Now, Yuan, what can you tell me about the proceedings? The proceedings themselves are extremely secretive, and it's likely that we'll only get a short glimpse of what they'll discuss at the end of the session on Thursday. However, in the weeks leading up to this plenum, there's been a lot of highlighting of policy goals from the leadership that we can read into the next five-year plan. For example, President Xi Jinping talking about this idea of internal circulation, which is this new buzzword, the idea that China is going to have to rely much more on its own growth and own domestic demand amid a terrible U.S.-China relationship and amid the COVID pandemic. This whole discussion around self-sufficiency has been made more urgent by the U.S.'s sanctioning of several Chinese tech companies like Huawei. We'll also see a focus on clean energy and the environment because recently President Xi has also announced that China is going to become carbon neutral by 2060. Now that's around a decade later than many other countries have pledged, but it's also the first time China's come out with a specific target date in mind. There hasn't been any detail yet as to how China's going to achieve that target, especially since coal power plants are still being opened each year. So we'll expect to see that kind of detail come out in a five-year plan. Yuan Yang is our deputy Beijing bureau chief. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.